0: Welcome to Leadership Conversations, a podcast by The Sustainability Board Report. Join us as we engage in conversations with business and civil society leaders, educators, and advisors, discussing the role of sustainable leadership in today's world. The Sustainability Board Report is an independent, not-for-profit project. We aim to showcase different dimensions of sustainable business leadership and corporate governance. We publish reports to help individual leaders, organizations, and investors to understand the changing landscape of environmental, social, and governance factors.
1: Welcome to a new season of Leadership Conversations. My name is Frederick Otto. I'm the founder and business advisor of the Sustainability Board Report TSBR, and I'm here with Helena Gudjonsdotter, our project manager. This season starts off with a phenomenal guest, as always, and that is Matt Fulbrook. Matt has been in the corporate governance world for over 20 years. But not only that, he also is a passionate educator and a fantastic musician. So we will hear all about that. Helena, what do you think about our conversation we had with Matt?
0: Yeah, Frederick, as you said, I think there are few people with uh, such extensive experience into the corporate governance space. It's nice to hear about his journey so he will go into that further, but it's, you know, he started as a 20 year old, hardly any understanding of what corporate governance really was. So it's nice to see how that then shaped his journey uh, to be this expert today. I think obviously it's nice to hear his insights into the changes that boards have faced. He has this insight into the boardroom through his research, through his exposure to boards. My biggest takeaway, I would say, from the, the conversation was that. It's important for boards and executives to really ask curious questions and to be really interested. And that's how you can really make a difference. As you mentioned, obviously, super interesting to learn about his podcast, about his band on the side of all this work that he's doing. And I think our listeners will really like his advice at the end, talking about best practice. I'm not going to reveal too much now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He presents best practice in a new light. So look forward to that. And also, I loved one of the boardroom exercises that he is doing here at TSBR. We're obviously all about using business as a force for good. And one of his exercises are really trying to uncover how directors feel about this particular topic, what the whole world and markets are talking about right now. So listen out for his boardroom exercise. And Helena, we have a little special goodie at the end of our episode today
0: is actually a song by Matt's band, Casey Robert and the Life Revolution. And the song that our listeners can hear is called Drift Away. But I think without further ado, we can really dive into the conversation.
1: In today's episode, we welcome Matt Fullbrook. Matt is a board effectiveness researcher, educator and consultant. For 20 years, Matt led the Rotman School of Management's governance research as the manager of the Johnston Center for Corporate Governance Innovation and the Clarkson Center for Board Effectiveness. As an independent consultant, Matt has worked in over 200 boardrooms helping organizations to maximize their effectiveness through the development and implementation of valuable governance processes, policies, and structures. In 2020, Matt launched his podcast One Minute Governance, where he explores complex governance issues one minute at a time and Matt is also a professional musician and is the bass player for Casey Roberts and the Life Revolution, an original touring seven-piece funk band based in Toronto. Matt, it's a great pleasure having you on the podcast today. Frederick, the pleasure is all mine. I'm happy to be here. I'm very keen to learn more about your music career, but perhaps we can get started with your story, your corporate governance journey, and the current work that you focus on.
2: Yeah, thanks for asking. So. As you might imagine, most people don't end up in the corporate governance world by design. And my journey was even more strange because it started when I was about 20 years old. It was a complete accident. It started because I was in the middle of my undergrad in, of all things, literature and philosophy and really needed uh, a job at the university that would accommodate my schedule as a student. And I ended up on a research project at a, a research center at the business school that was just starting to examine corporate governance in the wake of enron worldcom parmalat nortel all the that stuff that had all sort of happened at the same time i had no knowledge or understanding or interest in the topic whatsoever and this project that i was working on we had no idea at the time whether anyone would even care it was a set of ratings of boards based on a public disclosure so we looked at the top 250 odd Canadian listed companies and assigned them ratings based on the quality of their disclosure around certain governance processes and and structures and practices. And not only were people interested, but it was enough interest that it basically became the focus of a research center. And I was asked as a, a kid basically to run the center because at that time I was the person with the most expertise in that project because I'd been there right from the start. And that was the kickoff of a 20-year career at the University of Toronto, which I, I resigned from my position last summer. But it gave me an amazing platform to have an understanding from the outside looking in of thousands of organizations over the years in all sectors, and then also off the side of my desk to start a bit of a consulting business where I do everything from advisory stuff, education, speaking, and engagements might last for two hours of, for a short education session or a dinner, all the way through to clients I've worked with for over 10 years, especially in sectors where there's a lot of disruption around governance. So I, I'm very spoiled to have both that outside-in experience and the hands-on experience with now approaching 250 organizations. Amazing. And wow, 20 years and started so young. I can imagine you have really had a unique view on things
1: at that particular age, right?
2: Well, unique is one way to put it. I was certainly a lot of naivete. If you imagine a 20-year-old with no understanding of the world of governance at all, it really was lost on me completely how special it was to be, especially by the time I was in my mid-20s and I was doing speaking engagements and I was getting inside boardrooms, I kind of felt like, oh, well, this is just my job. It wasn't until later that I realized this is a really unusual and special opportunity. It was really a great combination of luck meets opportunity meets ambition. But my perspective at the time, I think, was a little bit limited, and and has since, I hope, become a bit more realistic. Well, I'm sure it has. Matt, let's take that
1: 20-year time frame again. How do you think boards have changed over the last two decades?
2: You know, I'd hesitate to try to summarize the whole thing. I can zero in on a couple of things that I think are important, because the, really, there's so much that has changed, ranging from the emergence of greater transparency, the real proliferation of education programs and trade associations around governance and the the professionalization of support systems around boards and so on and so on and so on. There's so much that's changed. But I think maybe the the most interesting thing, and I know we'll talk more about this, is boards have become more interested in asking more curious questions about more things. And this is happening slowly. I don't think we're there yet but maybe a good way to put it is we're shifting in a really important and useful way away from thinking of corporate governance as equal to compliance and now thinking of it more as something that is it can really add tremendous value to an organization and so boards are less focused on box ticking and more interested in exploring how the future of the organization can be better than the past. Let's potentially then
1: hone in onto one of those topics. Uh, and here at the Sustainability Board Report, we're all about uh, ESG and sustainability concerns and how that affects particularly corporate boards. How has the conversation evolved around these particular topics? That would probably be my holistic question, number one. And then secondly, do you believe that boards have the capability to talk about environmental and social issues appropriately, or who should that the governance of these issues really sit with?
2: Right. Okay. So those are two really good and very different questions. So let let me, let me approach the first one first, and then I may ask you to, to engage with me on the second one a little bit. I'll give you an example of what's evolved. I do an exercise and I've done it, uh, I don't know, some obnoxious number of times, hundreds of times for sure. Whether it's in boardrooms or conferences or classrooms where I give the participants a list of stakeholders some internal like the the board and management and employees and some external like let's say shareholders uh or regulators but one of them is always the environment and i give them a list of 10 and i put them into groups and i say put yourself in the position of a corporate director to whom do you owe the greatest duty and i ask them i give them 15 minutes in small groups to rank from one to 10, one being the stakeholder to whom I, we owe the greatest duty and 10 being the one to whom we owe the least duty, there's of course no right answer to this question. It's just meant to be an important and engaging conversation that we don't typically have to think about what are the groups and individuals and systems that are impacted by the actions of our corporation and how are we going to prioritize the interests of those groups and individuals. And If I rewind 10 years when I used to do this exercise, the environment was always either number nine or number 10. And if it wasn't number nine, it was because number 10 was myself as a director because a lot of people think of themselves as, we've got to put ourselves at the bottom or else we're self-interested. So it always used to be number nine or number 10 without fail. And it still generated interesting conversations, but in the end, it was always at the bottom. Now, slowly. We're starting to see an increased nuance around how boards are engaging in the conversation about where the environment fits in the priority of the impact of of our decisions as an organization. You rarely see it as number one, although sometimes you do, but it's sort of creeping up the list because, not because organizations think it's more important, but because their vocabulary around it is improving, and because... The the way that they're taking the environment into consideration in their decision-making has shifted, and they're realizing, I hope, that it's a little bit more important than being just a throwaway. Now, as for your second question, maybe I'll ask you to restate it, given what I've just said.
1: No, absolutely. And I love this exercise, by the way. Uh, let me rephrase it then. We've did a lot of research around the ESG consciousness and competence of directors. I think we can long and hard debate, you know, who should particular issues sit with. But I think there's a general sentiment that the board needs to be on top of the overall ESG issues, especially how they pertain to corporate strategy. Right. So when you think about competence and consciousness and conversations that you have with boards around ESG and sustainability,
2: how is that going? There is still an inclination in boardrooms to look at environmental and sustainability issues through the lens of how is this going to impact our business, right? So when we bring environmental questions to the table and the board is engaging in a how will this impact us, the scope and potential impact of those conversations is relatively limited, right? Because we're not talking about what the organization can do, or even better, what if the board were asking a question like, sure, we've taken into consideration how climate change is going to affect our business. Let's also please talk about how our organization can be a force for positive, sustainable change in our world. And I think. One of the, the ways that I'm trying to have these conversations with, with the organizations I work with is I say, look, if you're just sitting there asking how you're going to be affected by climate change, there's going to be some other organization out there that's asking a better question and they're going to win, right? This can, if you're being really intelligent and strategic and innovative and potentially disruptive in the boardroom you've got a higher probability of being the organization that wins by really thinking about how you can have a positive impact.
1: Yeah, and all of this, I suppose, comes with a certain level of education and, and you're an educator, of course. I, again, I don't want to pose two questions to, to you, so I'm trying to wrap them in one. How does generally board education go? How effective is it? And at the same time, is the need for ESG and sustainability education Uh, increasing as well? Or how do board directors stay abreast of what's going on, really?
2: Yeah, so I think there is a really important element um, in terms of the governance, an an organization's decision-making, let's say, around climate change. There's a really important element of it that's, okay, well, let's make sure we actually understand the vocabulary here. Let's go out and understand what the risks are let's go understand what the metrics are that are out there let's understand the universe of the stakeholders around us that that might be asking questions or might be useful allies or, or whatever it is and that is i think if we think about education as a let's come into the boardroom with a a broad base of knowledge and a shared understanding of the the world around us when, we, when it comes to climate change and sustainability that's where education can be really useful I haven't yet seen, and I don't think this is unique to sustainability or climate change, I haven't yet seen director education that really empowers boards and directors to come out of the course and go back into the boardroom and be decisively more curious and effective than they were before they did the education. So I don't know that we've cracked the nut of using director education or governance education to kind of give boards a superpower, but we certainly have done a better job at providing resources to boards to say, here's the vocabulary that you need. This might help you to formulate some questions that'll help you get the information you want, but not necessarily taking it to that next level of really empowered decision making. That makes sense. What do you consider
1: the most significant outside pressures on boardrooms to be at the moment? Is that policymakers? Is that investors? Is it their employees? Is it all of the above to a certain extent, like where do you feel most pressure is exerted on corporate boards at the moment?
2: Yeah, I think this is a tough question to answer generically because it's really dependent on jurisdiction. So here I am in Canada, and I think that there's certainly if you're a listed company, there's still a lot of boxes to tick with respect to regulation and the stock exchanges and so on. If you're a privately owned company, a little bit less so, right? You're mostly beholden to shareholders, and those shareholders are typically in a privately owned company world. They're shareholders that you have knowledge of and a relationship with and so on. But in the the UK where you are, there's an increasing amount of conversation about, well, maybe we should be putting regulatory pressure on privately owned companies to be more transparent around governance and so on. And so then that pressure becomes more increased in that world. So I promise I'm not trying to avoid the question, but I do think that it really does depend on the corporate model. It depends on your industry. It depends on your jurisdiction. There's a lot of different factors that come into this, but maybe if I'm uh, interpreting the spirit of your question correctly i do think that there is an increasing as the the sophistication in the boardroom and the be, the better vocabulary and better understanding and sensitivity to multi-stakeholder pressures and so on as in the boardroom as that becomes more sophisticated it's also happening outside the boardroom and so boards are becoming more sensitive to and responsive to a diverse set of external stakeholders that I don't think I ever saw them being particularly interested in in the past. So maybe my short answer is where it used to be a smaller number of of pressure or the pressure is coming from a smaller number of sources. Now we're getting more pressure from more spaces, but I, I don't think that there's a generic answer that applies everywhere.
1: Now, I love that answer, Matt, because usually we We get, oh, yeah, it's definitely investors. It's definitely those. It's definitely those. So I think you're making actually a really good point that it depends on jurisdiction. And we ran a scenario analysis last year on the various stakeholders around the business and got a lot of opinions, obviously. But I think you are really spot on with your answer there. Okay, let's talk about your podcast, One Minute Governance. absolutely love it. And it is really just one minute of wisdom that you are sharing. You were alluding to it already. Education is important. And I think you're trying to convey your last 20 years with a wider audience as well. Tell us a little bit more about that podcast. How did it come about and what made you uh, adopt this particular format? Thanks
2: for asking. It's been a really fun and interesting project. It started out not I didn't have a particular ambition to make a podcast. I'll make an admission here, which is I I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. And so it wasn't really the first, the top of my list of ways that I wanted to express myself at the beginning, but I started building out a list of topics and questions that I wanted to explore somehow. And I wondered, okay, well, should this be a book? Should I start a newsletter? Should I build a course? What should I do? And I kind of tested out a bunch of things. And I thought, you know what? I'm actually like saying this out loud. And I especially like saying it out loud in the most pithy, brief way I can. And so what happened was, and this is, I think, partly influenced by the fact that I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. A lot of the time, what turns me off from podcasts is the length. And I thought, well, what if I made a podcast where the format is designed for someone like me, and so it's fully scripted? And what's great about it is, it turns out I'll never run out of ideas. I always think to myself, "Shoot, how am I going to come up with the next five episodes?" But they always, the ideas always come. And given now that I've practiced the and I've done a whole bunch of there's a hundred something episodes, I can get from concept to scripting to recording in about 20 minutes per episode, which is also great. But I haven't answered the real question yet, which is I think there's a real lack of super inclusive, accessible content about corporate governance out there. I think most of the content that is out there is intentionally very sophisticated and intentionally or unintentionally exclusionary. And I wanted to create content that touched on topics that are universally applicable, regardless of the type of organization you're in, while also being potentially accessible to someone who's coming just sort of with very limited knowledge about the space.
1: Yeah. And I find it uh, personally very helpful. I don't consider myself to be a corporate governance expert, although very interested, but there's a few nuggets in there that I would have never thought of before. So so really well done. No, absolutely. And obviously, that is accessible on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, is it? And the usual. It's platforms. everywhere.
2: Yeah. Wherever you, as they say at the end of podcasts, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, good. And not only are you running a podcast, but
1: you also play in a band that is Casey Roberts and the Live Revolution. And I personally absolutely love the sound. I hope I don't offend anyone now. I personally find it. Dave Matthews Band Meets Jamiroquai. That's how I explained it to my wife. So for those listeners who are getting interested now, definitely do listen to it. So let me ask you, is this your major counterweight to your board work? And how did the band come about? How did you get into that?
2: Yeah, thanks for asking. Well, that first piece, it wasn't intentionally there to balance from my professional life with my creative life. It, it Really, music came first. And I've known our band leader, Casey Roberts, since we were teenagers so we've been friends for a really long time and have been playing music together for even you know 20-ish years since we started playing in bands together and we've known each other even longer and so these the paths of my sort of professional governance life and my musician life uh, they developed in parallel and Music has become a really important part of my life, but it's also really, you know, I met somebody, there was a student at Rotman, the Rotman School of Management where I worked for a long time who said to me, you know, I've learned over the the year that I've been here so far that if I have a conversation with students or professors about school, we don't ever have any reason to talk to each other again. But if I talk to them about music, we become friends immediately and we build a connection and we build a community. And he eventually did actively start a community in the school around music. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly the impact that it's had in my professional life too, is my relationship with my community in the governance world is actually strengthened significantly by the ability to talk about music, which everybody is interested in. And, The fact that I can say, well, look, you know, here's another side of my life. It makes me seem, I think, a little bit more accessible and less threatening than some guy who just sits in boardrooms all day. So on top of all that, it's a real privilege to be in a band that I love playing music. I love. We've got a new album coming out. The first one in a long time. It's coming out in June. And I'm glad you asked because I I could clearly talk about this forever. So (laughs) thank you.
1: Yeah, sure. And then one follow up question, I suppose, Matt.
2: What projects
1: do you have in the pipeline, whether that is music or the corporate governance world or both? What is on your agenda for 2022?
2: Yeah. So, music wise, now that touring and that kind of thing is becoming a little bit more possible as the world is opening up again. So, there's a lot of that with the new album coming out. We've got videos, we've got shows, we're planning for the next album. So, all that is kind of happening at the same time, which is great. And on my my sort of professional side, after I resigned from Rotman last year, I'm kind of existing in a pathless state, which is great because I can explore a lot of different things and imagine where I might be able to have the most impact in the governance space or beyond. And I am developing a new thing. I'm going to be a little bit mysterious about it, but it's inspired by a, a similar place. It came from a similar place as, as One Minute Governance, but it's a little bit more deliberate and directed, which is, I believe that when I look at the resources available out there to directors or executives around governance, most of it assumes a relatively sophisticated understanding of boards, of executives, of organizational decision-making. And it uses words that have a lot of baggage. Governance is a great example. If you ask 10 Senior executives, what's corporate governance? You're going to get 10 different answers with a lot of different diverging implications. And so I'm creating a platform, and it's in fact, a, a, I know multimedia is kind of a, an outdated term, but it will be written, audio, visual, and by visual, I mean illustration, and so on, but a bunch of different ideas all put together. And the idea is let's create a platform where governance becomes completely inclusive and accessible. It's not intended necessarily for people who are new to this space. It's also intended for experienced CEOs, experienced board chairs who have been in the space for a long time, but it's hard for them to step back and really grasp a lot of the fundamental pieces. So I won't say more yet, but I promise I'll share with you, Frederick, This I'm expecting it to launch in July or August and I'll tell you more soon.
1: That sounds amazing, really interesting. And we'll definitely look out for that. Uh, thanks for sharing, Matt. And then lastly, we have two questions that we ask all of our guests. And that is one of my favorite sections here of the podcast. The first question is, what is your favorite story of a particular leader or organization? that had a big impact on yourself or
2: society at large. Yeah, thank you. So I'm going to tell a story that I, in fact, haven't been able to prove is real, but it inspired me a lot. And I've shared the story in a bunch of different boardrooms and classrooms, because even if it's not real, it's still, I think, a really interesting illustration of both leadership and about the superpowers of different types of organizations. So the story goes that... There's it's about maybe 10-ish years ago, there were some really serious floods in Calgary, in Canada. And if anyone is, is listening and knows this organization, I please get in touch with me because I'd love to, to figure out exactly who it is. There was a mutual insurer, so a, co- a cooperative insurance company, whose policyholders, many of their homes, were destroyed by the floods. And technically speaking, these insurance policies did not cover flooding that comes in through the windows. It only covered flooding that comes up through the sewers. And so all these folks were not going to have their houses covered. And the CEO of this organization did some work, did the the financial math, and came to the board and said, look, we exist for our policyholders. As a mutual insurance company, we exist for our policyholders. We don't have a solely profit-driven mandate. We've done the math and we believe that the right thing to do is to retroactively modify the policies so that these people's homes will, will be covered. Because that's in the spirit of our cooperative mandate, we believe that's the right thing to do. And, of course, they did it, as, as the story goes, and all of these policyholders, they ended up not losing their homes. Now, to me, it's, an, it's a, an illustration of how different corporate models can result in different decision options. But it's also an, a really important example of inspired leadership to say, wait, let me take a step back, understand the reason why we're here and figure out if there's a solution here that optimizes both the organization and its its standing and its success, but also the interests of our most important stakeholders. So I absolutely love the story, but I've not been able to prove if it's real.
1: Yeah, it definitely sounds good. And it's yet again, another evidence of the win-win scenario that you can do in fact well by doing good, right? right. So. Thanks for sharing that, Matt. And then very lastly, and I know you're not a fan of holistic answers, but can you give our listeners one piece of advice that they can make part of their leadership toolkit and, you know, start applying today to set them up for more positive impact, whatever that may be?
2: Okay, yeah. So I do have some relatively generic advice here, and this is when it comes to governance specifically, but I think there may be a broader application of this. I'll leave the listeners to decide if if it's useful to them beyond governance. In the governance context, I entirely reject and I I encourage others to reject the concept of best practice. What happens when we talk about best practice in governance is it assumes that there is an approach, a model, a structure, a process, a behavior that A is good for every organization, but maybe more importantly, B is best for us today and is likely to continue to be best for us in the future. And I think that in my experience, it's 100% false. I don't think that there's any single approach that is universally excellent. And my preferred definition of corporate governance is it's just the way that decisions get made in an organization. So my preferred definition of good governance is creating the conditions where effective decisions are likely to be made. And I think most of us will agree, every different decision that we might face in an organization probably benefits from a slightly different approach. It needs different information, it needs different cadence and timelines, needs different approaches to questioning and, and so on. So that leads me to the second half of my advice here, which is, I think that there's a second piece of this no best practice, which is I don't think there's an approach in a boardroom that is likely to optimize every single person in the room at the same time. And we've got this tendency to deploy every meeting the same, right, similar agendas. We all sit around the table in the same way. We ask similar questions. We have similar timelines and so on and so on. I think the best boards that I meet are the ones that are curious and interested in trying different approaches to exploring different decisions. And that might mean maybe it's something as simple as let's have a small group discussion for 10 minutes and then come back together. It might mean let's change venues. It might mean let's try a different style for our board packet before the meeting. whatever it is trying different things to optimize the decisions at hand is to me very inspired governance and it helps to to let go of this idea that there's one best practice for everybody so there's my advice
1: That's great. I'm sure some consultants are falling off the chair now when they're here, don't rely on best practice, but it actually makes sense. So thanks for sharing that, Matt. And thanks so much for coming on. Unfortunately, we are at time here because we do want to cater to people like yourself who don't want (laughs) to listen to the longest podcast. So half an hour is usually a cut off. Thanks ever so much for coming on. This was really, really interested. uh, And I would love to stay on top of your projects.
2: I can't wait. Thanks, Frederick.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Leadership Conversations. And as promised, we have Casey Robert and the Life Revolution drift away.
3: On this road, people crowd and the traffic gets slow. Everybody seems so concerned about getting home. Think I'll stay in town. To the river to pray in that water that saves I think I'll stay with my baby, dance